This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone here and around the world and out in space and beyond. This is Thanksgiving Eve, as it was on November 22, 1963, 60 years ago, the day U.S. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated at 12.30 p.m. Central Time in Dallas, Texas. He was traveling in a motorcade in an open-top limousine sitting next to his wife, Jacqueline Kennedy, behind Texas Governor John Connolly and the limousine driver. My longtime friend, Jim Mars, who wrote the brilliant book, Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, published in 1989, told me the actual reason for the murder was because JFK wanted an agreement with Russia to build a joint base on the moon. Jim told me that the top secret advisor group, MJ-12, headed by the director of the CIA and created by President Harry Truman to contain and control all information about UFOs and extraterrestrials interacting with Earth, that MJ-12 did not want Russia involved with highly classified American interactions with UFO intelligences and considered JFK's proposal to be a threat to national security. Today, 60 years later, reality is still classified about the alien presences on Earth, on our moon, inside Jupiter's Ganymede moon, and far beyond into the Milky Way galaxy. But even though the Pentagon and JSOC are still reluctant to have the big truth headlined everywhere publicly, I recently received a proton mail from an insider, quote, when you see everyone talking openly in mainstream academia about the James Webb Telescope finding signs of life, I can assure you that the most profound historical event of planet Earth is coming, that we are not alone in this universe. There's not a day that goes by that I am not involved with this, and I want the public to know what I and others have known for a long time. Maybe at that point, this world will lay down all the wars and lies and come together as one people, one species, and join our off-world friends together in peace and exploration of this beautiful universe that our Creator Source built for all of us. Oh, to end the violence and wars on Earth and see Homo sapien explore this universe in peace and wonder. But even plasma physicist John Brandenburg, PhD, who I interviewed last week, is convinced from his analysis of radioactivity equal to the explosion of two hydrogen bombs above the Martian Northern Hemisphere's Cydonia region millions of years ago. Plus, his analysis of the red-circled beryllium 
lithium, uranium, and thorium concentrations in the small metal spheres that Harvard astronomer Avi Loeb collected in early July 2023, and they match thermonuclear weapon components. The beryllium, lithium, uranium, and thorium concentrations were also confirmed by UK Liverpool Hope University planetary and space science professor Monica Grady as consistent with concentrations in thermonuclear weapon components. But she tried to explain their deep sea presence as a result of early H-bomb tests in the Marshall Islands in 1954. But the truth is those H-bomb tests were 1,583 miles from Manus Island in Papua New Guinea, where Dr. Avi Loeb found more than 50 small spheres contaminated with the beryllium, lithium, uranium, and thorium levels that can be found in thermonuclear weapons components. Also true is this fact. Thorium was not used in the 1954 H-bomb tests. So as Dr. John Brandenburg said in my interview last week, quote, there is abundant evidence to indicate that the earth and its people, its biosphere are not unique in the cosmos. So there are other intelligences out there and they have also mastered space travel. In fact, they're even more advanced technologically than us humans. They've probably been around longer than us, much longer. And then they have nuclear weapons technology, which anyone who develops space travel and looks at the stars figures out. There have been extraterrestrial Einsteins out there, and that doesn't mean that they mean us harm. It does, however, mean that in space, the stars are realms of conflict between good and evil, just like we have on Earth. Close quote, Dr. John Brandenburg. And I am provoked to the core of my soul to want to learn everything I can about other life in this universe's matter dimension. And what's in all the other dimensions? I want to know why isn't agape love the natural state of human to human on this planet? Isn't that what the ancient avatars were trying to accomplish? But power and barter prevailed then and now. Does a cold, dark sea surround this particular universe because it was created to be a holographic coliseum? And are our gladiator souls forever weaving through the mysterious yin and yang? In all of your handwritten letters, emails, and proton mails to me, you share astonishing experiences with non-humans. And your words help me keep going. Like this email I received this morning from a PhD in Las Cruces, New Mexico, quote, I have continued to read your books and watch your Wednesday evening podcasts this year and continue to enjoy and appreciate your willingness to persevere in the face of so many who either do not care or who do not know or know more than they are saying and continue to deny so many truths. I agree with you that the shelf life 
of the government denial nonsense is probably finally coming to an end. And as so many others, I can't help but sense that we are nearing a threshold of some sort that will change things forever. Unlike so many of my colleagues and friends, I welcome that with open arms. It continues to puzzle me when talking with debunkers about the various aspects of the phenomena and how lacking in curiosity they seem to be about the truer nature of reality. Perhaps it is fear of ridicule or complacency or both that keeps them disconnected. Recently, I was chatting over lunch with a science professor friend of mine, and although she listened intently to some of what you have shared with us all and other books and documentaries I've absorbed on the subject, this was her response, quote, It's too much for me to handle, but if the aliens make themselves known at some point, I'm perfectly willing to shake their hands and invite them to dinner, close quote. And she was serious and I had to smile. In her own way, she was trying to wrap her head around the subject of the cover-up and the positive implications to humanity when all is finally revealed. In particular, the technology that already exists that would transform our world. Linda, stay safe during these holidays and know there are far more than the quarter million subscribers that feel uplifted by all you continue to do and to bring these important issues to the forefront. You are respected and appreciated, close quote, the professor. My deep thanks to you, sir, and to all of you who wonder why human power brokers keep the true reality classified. And I also want to thank my friends and colleagues. With me here in this office is video editor Brad Stoddard, who has worked with me since 2005. And in Toronto, Canada is computer genius Eric, who keeps the Earth Files digital world running and has worked with me since the early 1990s. And now to the UK, where my longtime friend and colleague Ian Holling is gathering your questions for tonight's Thanksgiving special. I met Ian in the 1990s when I was fascinated by the crop formations in England. And one night he, his friends, and I stayed up nearly all night talking about the mysterious small glowing orbs that I had seen, some of them had seen, even with our own eyes in the wheat fields where patterns would be found at sunrise, linking the mysterious lights directly to those crop circles. And now, dear Ian, on to the Q&A Thanksgiving 2023 tonight. Thank you very much, Linda, and a happy and safe Thanksgiving to you and to all of our audience tonight. Uh, Linda, yes, you did trigger that memory, a very a uh, strong memory of mine of staying up with you <laughs> in Wiltshire, discussing those balls of light. And yes, I have seen them myself and they were absolutely amazing. Yeah. And the remembering when people were yeah. running into the barge in with, uh, with copies of videos of the Oliver's Castle, um, you have, uh, orbs of light and uh, things like that were going on. 
So that's right. Yeah, and, and you know, Ian, you and I and those who saw those orbs of light that were moving through the fields, through the trees on top of Woodboro Hill, that was one of the places I saw the most dramatic. It lasted for maybe a minute or two, circling around the trees very slowly, as almost as if, uh, see me, watch me, and there were a dozen of us up there. And when that beautiful gold, more gold with a touch of lime green came around, I remember I was so excited, but I was also amazed, shocked, because whatever this was, was closer to the category of UFOs and ETs than anything that we humans know about. That's right. And when I first saw those balls of light tumbling one above another in, in such majestic formation, golden yellow yeah. balls of light that were just left of East Field, uh, right above, and I was the only person on the highway just traveling out, out there just to look at that and it's it they did hang around for about a minute I and mean, it was such an amazing sight so and i'm they, really privileged to have seen that and they move like people who sight around ufos who say the light moved in an arc steadily almost as if there was no resistance that was the feeling about the mysterious lights as if they knew exactly what they were doing in all these curves that they made through the trees through the crops and down the hills it was it was almost like it was perfectly choreographed yeah. there was no resistance it was simply sliding one above another just simply majestically dancing in the skies right well, yeah. Anyway, we've got some questions here, Linda, and you, you just led with the part of the, the story about the cold black sea. Here's Tracy Murray. She says, Happy Thanksgiving, Linda, Ian, and all of the Earthfast family. I'd love to know what Linda thinks the sea of black in the universe is. She said it was told to her by a whistleblower, or DIA, possibly. He referred to something black in the universe, but said he couldn't elaborate on it. Would love to know if Linda ever heard any more over time as to what it may be. Thank you. Uh, it is an excellent question. In my two-volume book, Glimpses Volume 1 and Volume 2, there is a section about my uh, interacting with and interviewing a person who worked, as I understood it, he worked for the CIA, um, but had a completely different identity in the world. And he was the one who was telling me that he just wanted me to know that MJ-12 was real and that he had had a personal discussion with MJ-8 about what he had heard is that we were beginning either through ETs, our own physics are combined, that surrounding what we would call this universe, not just confined to our Milky Way galaxy, but the whole universe, 13.8 billion light years, was surrounded by a cold, dark sea. Those were his words to me. And immediately my reaction was, oh my God, why? Why would there be something that sounds negative, that sounds evil, that sounds awful, be surrounding this universe? And that's when the man said, well, I asked as well, and the answer that came back, 
that essentially was saying that it was like we were one universe in a beach of sand and that each grain of sand was another universe and that they were separated each universe is separated by some kind of a membrane and that the membrane had something to do in our universe not all of them it had to do with our universe was surrounded by a cold dark sea and ever since that discussion I put in my glimpses volume two there's information about what I'm talking about now glimpses of other realities volume two there is another section that relates to this very much about NSA DIA people who approached me through Ray Boucher in Nebraska to get me information in floppy disks that are reprinted in this book and this was one of the quotes in an excerpt from someone that I was talking to at that time and interviewing. It's when I also started interviewing the people who were writing to me about being abducted and seeing bodies in tubes that I've shown you the illustrations. All of this came at about the same time in the early 1990s, government people, uh, the discussion about a cold dark sea around the universe, so many universes like grains of sand, and then humans drawing these tubes with human bodies, ET bodies in them. And he said, the dark side, and this is what's important, the dark side seems to be a part of creation that has been at war with itself since the beginning of all that is. How or why the split, I don't know. Those higher evolved would know that, not I. But ever since the two sides split apart, the negative, the positive, that I referred to in my own words at the beginning of this show as weaving through the yin and yang. The dark side seems to be a part of creation that has been at war with itself since the beginning of all that is. How or why the split, I don't know. Those higher evolved would know that, not I. But ever since the two sides split apart, they have been creating beings with which to fight one another throughout all existence, all the grains of sand, the yin and the yang are pitted against each other according to this perspective. And it's not just on a planet, but on many others, not just Earth. Is it something creation itself uses as a tool to push against itself as a way of expanding its own knowledge, growth, and consciousness? I don't have the answer to that one either, he said to me. But 
The environment of the whole UFO situation is one of evolution. Upwards expansion of the human race into a new race of beings, contributing in a very positive mode to the further expansion, evolution, and co-creation of an ever-expanding universe. Life renewing itself in ever more complex arrangements of expression, ever more transcendental paradigms of creation, and in the end, it is to join with others on this cosmic journey evolving away upward until we join once more with, he said, the one who created everything. In a way, you could think of all life forms as brain cells. On their own, they're not outstandingly productive, but joined with others of their kind, they merge to create a thinking, creative force for greater expansion of all that exists. Life creating and contemplating itself. And Ian, I think that that last word, life creating and contemplating itself at a scale that is incomprehensible to us. But from the standpoint of infinity, it makes sense to some degree. With, without the, the conflicts of the black and the white, what would it be like if, if there was not this contest? The sad thing is that here on earth, it seems to erupt into horrible wars uh, too often. Well, um, and again, you just preempted the next question I had following on from the cold dark sea. AJ had contacted me and said that the uh, prophetic part of, uh, of this was the membrane theory, also known as M-theory, now accepted by physics, was not thought of when glimpses came out. And that is uh, essentially about each grain of sand, each universe separated from the others by a kind of membrane. Yes, and well, there's, uh, there's at least two possibilities. One, that all of the membranes would be cold, dark seas. Another possibility that only one would be a cold dark sea and all the others would be something else. And the third option is we don't have a clue what any of it would be made of, but the cold dark sea metaphor that was, uh, that was in the 1980s and I was in Washington DC and I was uh, d d working really hard uh, on some very difficult material and this person uh, cross my path because they wanted to <clears throat> and talk to me about this cold dark sea and the universe and he was basically they obviously knew uh, where I was and what I was doing and why he wanted to get this information across to me then I don't know but I still think of it as extremely valuable and still mysterious because we Homo sapien on Earth, after 45,000 years, crossfade with Neanderthalensis, and 278 million years after what I've been told was the beginning of genetic manipulation of already evolving primates, 
by three competing groups. The reptiles don't want humans on Earth. The reptiles want Earth for themselves. Against them were the Nordics, not the tall whites. The Nordics, great fighters in history of the Earth and in other solar systems, great fighters. And the third are the greys, but it's always been emphasized to me, the greys that everybody draws, the greys that people have seen in their bedrooms or whether they're in a field and they're on a tractor and uh, I know two cowboys who saw two greys literally float over a corral fence and come down and they had no idea what had just happened. Those greys are all AI. It's artificial intelligence the, doing a thousand things for a tall, seven to eight feet tall, thinner, it's called the progenitor gray. And the progenitor grays are supposed to be in a solar system now where they are challenged uh, by persisting in their own life cycles but they have all of these gray AIs of different sizes, different skills, all over the Milky Way galaxy and beyond. And we, humans, not knowing anything, were one of the very first beings that began to be described were these short grays with the big black slanted eyes without people thinking that they were AI. And today it's becoming clearer that they all are artificial intelligence. Some are not biological at all. They're made by stuff. Some are biological, <clears throat> like with computer eyes and various things. It, the computer eyes see in all kinds of frequencies. And then, has modern, so-called modern Homo sapien ever been introduced to the very tall seven to eight feet, very thin, uh, we'll call progenitor grays, that's what the government guys call them. I don't know if they've ever been here physically themselves. I assume that the three-way war from 278 million years ago is those progenitor grays, the Nordics, and the reptilians. And that this war has been going on on this planet while Humans and Neanderthalensis cross-faded 45,000 years ago, apparently by some decision by what was happening with all these genetic experiments by these ETs. And why we are the one that has been evolving since 45,000 years ago, and that by the time we got to the 20th century in World War II, instead of Hitler and governments that were involved in that great war of which Hitler uh, told people it was about his wanting to place the Aldebaran blonde, blue-eyed, in control of the earth and kill the Hebrews and all of that. The, the, the whole uh, landscape of what Hitler had been telling people was extraterrestrial. And that came into focus for me when I had that meeting, that seven-hour meeting with that Defense Intelligence Agency analyst in December 1999. 
And he said, Linda, World War II was an extraterrestrial war fought through human bodies and then explained uh, for seven hours what that meant. And even today, it is hard for me, it's hard for us humans to relate to the fact that there has been existence of tremendously advanced intelligences all over this huge universe with, three, what is it, three trillion uh, estimated galaxies in the web, the James Webb beautiful photograph of all of the density of the galaxies. And I stare at that photograph if there's three trillion galaxies in this one universe and we are one genetic experiment on one planet in this solar system at the far edge of the Milky Way galaxy and that people who have worked on projects, government projects or aerospace projects having to do with a lot of knowledge about the extraterrestrials, that the number of conscious beings in this universe alone, it's staggering, I mean, all I can see is bright light in my mind's eye, just bright light from all of the stars that would be filling all of those galaxies. And we are just one. Okay, Ian. Okay, straight away we've got Rosanna Rigby from Australia. She's in the chat tonight. If aliens have special powers, what are some of them that you know of? Also, has anybody that you've met received special powers by contact with aliens? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that they communicate telepathically in images. And we are a, uh, as uh, the, uh, in the Anunnaki, there was a criticism by Enlil that humans were too noisy. We make all this chatter between you. And I've had at least 3,000 interviews with people in the abduction syndrome by now. And I have a sort of a, atmosphere from hearing them talk and there's so many similarities that what humans experience coming in to their forehead like a movie like a movie screen will be images and some will go through quite fast and and the human will get a gestalt from that fast these images they'll they'll get a sense of feeling and then there will come something more, it may be slower. Uh, often, many people say that there is some sort of a language, they don't know if it's Sanskrit, but it's something like Sanskrit, gold-colored glowing, that will be like overlaying as the photos come through their mind's eye. And that, that they can begin to absorb information to some degree, but that it doesn't come into us in a um, clear communication. People have impressions. 
they have impressions and that, then that's reinforced by the second um, area of communication and that is through dreams. It is very clear that all of the people, there may be three, four, five million people on earth now who have uh, been with a variety of different intelligences uh, going out to a craft uh, or in their bedroom or in the forest or wherever they are and that they will ha have dreams at night that are as vivid as a movie and they will wake up sometimes they just wake up in like two o'clock in the morning and they're inside the way it's been described to me they're inside the movie as they wake up they're inside of the movie and they are totally disoriented about what is happening and i have come to have so many descriptions that are so similar that i no longer am amazed by it or mystified i just accept that mind to mind transmission this is the world where the tall whites are this is where the nordics I think prefer to be but they will communicate uh, in sometimes they will communicate more more straightforwardly um, and the grays I don't know as much about except that I think that they they prefer te uh, telepathy thought and uh, the reptilians all I know is that they scare the hell out of people that's the most common thing about the reptilians. They just scare the hell out of humans. And uh, that when you go to this combination of the images coming through the mind overlaid with gold symbols and sometimes words, it'll, it'll be like phrases that, so you've got a lot of things going on. But there was one person who, uh, I met uh, back on the East Coast when I was working on a film and uh, they knew of my work in a, uh, a Strange Harvest about animal mutilations and human abductions. And they sought me out where I was on location with a film crew. And one of the things that they wanted me to know is If you are getting the three layers, let's say, you've got images going across, you've got the symbols, uh, you get sometimes these uh, words, thought words, that you will collapse. And this man talking to me said, I literally fainted. And I had been told by a military superior that they had were going to introduce me to one of these. Uh, this would be more like a gray Eben that he was dealing with. And they said, we will have men behind to catch you uh, if you faint like most people do. And he blew it off and said, ah, there's no way. I'm not, I, no, no way. I'm not going to faint. And he said, Linda, they had told me where they were going to release this being. And I could watch it make a 90 degree path right up to in front of me. And they told me when it gets out approximately 10 to 12 feet from your body, you are going to have fear the way you have fear when we are teaching 
how to fight with fire, fire hoses. And you will want to run away. And I'm ordering you as your commanding officer, stand where you are. Do not collapse. If you do, we will catch you. But I'm telling you, stand there and take the communication this being is going to give you. And he said everything that that man told him and that he, he scoffed and laughed and said, I, I can handle this. He, what he told me is that when this being, which kind of waddled, and he had been told that they, when, when they prefer to float above the ground, the gray, the gray types, they like to anti-gravity, they like to float but that they know that that unnerves humans and so they were asking it for it to walk and it had a kind of a Donald Duck waddle and the guy said it was almost funny until it got up to about 10 to 12 feet from me and he said I, I got mad at myself stop this that he, he wanted to turn around and run and he said he was fighting with himself while this being got closer and closer and closer. And then the being right in front of him lifted its head. The eyes connected with his eyes and the movies, the symbols, the telepathy, it all started. And where he became conscious was waking up three hours later on a cot at this particular military site. And he told me all of that saying, the truth is, it wasn't going to hurt me. It is something, he said, that they give off that is so, so strange and that makes you want to run away from it. And that's what they were trying to teach me. And I've always thought of that as a perfect metaphor story for what we are all going through as 8 billion humans on a planet that has never been told in the 20th, 21st centuries the truth that we're not alone in this universe, we never have been, it's filled in, with consciousness, there are um, other universes, other dimensions, all of it. We, we have never been educated or told the truth. And so the high strangeness of these beings, the ones that are AI, the ones that are AI and biological, the ones that are purely biological, our being able to be comfortable without any education, I think would be uh, impossible for any of us. And so even if it comes through earth files, even if it comes through um, conferences, we are sort of going through this process of getting everybody used to the concept that we're finally, we're not alone in this huge universe and there are other universes and dimensions. And there may be war and nuclear weapons and all of the things we've discussed in this universe. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be brought up to speed on the fact that the Anunnaki apparently were extraterrestrials from someplace else who came and built and had their own nuclear war with each other here on our planet. And it may be the Anunnaki that set off the equivalent of two hydrogen 
bombs over Cydonia in the northern hemisphere of Mars. That's the work of Dr. John Brandenburg, and he describes it in the fascinating book, Death on Mars, by John Brandenburg. If you haven't read it, do. It will open up your eyes at many levels. And so we are at such a strange time where I think an increasing pressure on this planet is to open up the truth by a lot of people and a lot of scientists, a lot of medical people, they, they agree we should open this whole thing up as complicated, weird as, as it may be in relationship to the evolutionary rivulets that uh, have happened on Earth to get to humans. But to keep living on this planet Earth with eight billion people and not moving to a huge crack in all of the policies of denial and start really opening up all of the truths seems to me a level of insanity. Because when reality is classified as long as this, what happens when you really, really might need everybody to be educated and be able to interact with systems that might in fact, help humans evolve, meaning systems that are extraterrestrial. They've got to open up the truth. All right, Ian. Yeah, that was a coincidence, because um, you said the first thing that came to your mind was that um, uh, about thinking in is doc. Oh no. We got a new, we've got a new speaker and it's failing. <laughs> Ian, you're you're cutting in and out. How are, you, are you not hearing me, Linda? Now I am. Try to try to speak okay. from there. Yeah. Okay. But the the video is got here as well, Linda. So uh, Eric and I are monitoring. Anyway, Dr. Coffin is in the chat today. She says that Facebook and images. She put that, posted that comment. Before that he says so does my son the great hair if they wanted us gone they would have done so already um just go going on to the question ian i'm sorry to interrupt i want to know but She's you traveling. we're we're only getting syllables okay do you want me to carry on or do you want to call me back well you okay now well let, try it from exactly where you are now this is a whole new system we got to improve in, and it's been working until now. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily think it's the speaker setup. Eric and I have monitored the situation. Uh, okay, Mary Goff is in the uh, is in the chat tonight. She says, "Question: Have any abductee experiences ever mentioned hearing tones similar to Close Encounters movie at the end when the ship lands, or am I the only one?" I've always wondered where uh, Spielberg got the do 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 in in that film, that wonderful film, because it doesn't jar in my own memory of thinking about all of the people I've interviewed uh, that they've heard notes like that. But I know that he was working with people who were in NASA and other uh, agencies, and there may be something we on the outside don't know 
Or it could also be a metaphor for the importance of frequencies. Everything in the ET world seems to me to be related to frequencies, how they communicate, the beams, the, the weights that they're picking up. Well, all of it has to be reestablished, and it may be that those notes were like a metaphor that this is very important, the change in the frequencies of the notes for the ETs interacting with our planet. Something like that could be the story, but I, I'm be welcome to hear uh, anybody else in the chat right now, or her or anyone. Uh, I would like to know if anybody has any hard uh, information about why those notes. Okay, I've got another question here from Ain Ethne who says she's traveling and may not make it, so she submitted her questions to me directly. There's been a lot of talk surrounding catastrophic disclosure, where the non-human intelligences get fed up with the slow disclosure process, and they reveal themselves in a big way, or another country like France, Great Britain, or China decides to reveal the non-human intelligences. What have you heard about this and its impact? And also, could the non-human intelligence get angry for being revealed? and take away experiences, as many such as myself have had dreams of ships coming by the hundreds and taking people away. I've also had those dreams too. Yeah, I was looking for it before the show. I thought I had it here. It's a headline about this uh, SOL, S-O-L, uh, co conference of, uh, by uh, the, the group that, what would you call, that here. I, it's so funny. I, I pulled that so I would have it. And you have information on uh, the soul. That's right. The, the headline was the exclusive retired U.S. Army colonel say secret UFO projects should be made public by October 2030 to beat America's rivals and get ahead of a catastrophic leak. And Dear Brad found uh, some of what I was looking for, the Saul Foundation. And the Saul Foundation uh, has been formed under the uh, Stanford University's uh, bio, biochemistry, Gary, uh, doc the doctor who's head of that group at Stanford. So uh, that, I mean, the, the idea of the fact that they're having this meeting and they're having people who have a lot of knowledge and uh, let's hope that this keeps going forth. Uh, it says the Soul Foundation brings together experts from academia and government to address the philosophical policy and scientific problems raised by the likely presence on the earth of UAP, which is just the most recent acronym for UFOs. I guess, I wonder what has happened. <laughs> What's up? You, you're, I'm still here, Linda. Yeah. I'm still here. Well, so okay. that is the definition of Saul and uh, Gary at Stanford University. 
Okay, well, that's that's good. We've got um, I've got to just acknowledge the super chats this evening. Thank you for our kind audience uh, for their donations this evening to Moonbird, Terry D, Obi Wan, Cindy Vol, Yin Yang Glow, Jay Hazel, Stacy Watkins, Chef C, Liz Gaspari, and Cars ninety six. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. Holly Shank says, um, my daughter had an experience when she was 13. We also had an experience with an hour and, a, and 20 minutes of missing time, but we don't have memory of it all. All we remember is the craft. And that links in with a question here from Tom. Says, mind me asking you something, we've spoken about this before, but dealing with things like missing time, can hypnosis really help somebody to remember things? Hypnosis definitely can help. Uh, I have been in so many hypnosis sessions with abductees going all the way back to uh, I started a strange harvest on the animal mutilations in September of 1979. And by that spring, uh, Dr. Leo Sprinkle at the University of Wyoming had this case uh, that he was approached by citizens, I think uh, it was a UFO group, and they wanted him to try to do professional hypnosis with this woman and her daughter who had gone to the UFO group to uh, say that they had been driving back from uh, a bingo game in Houston. It was 1973. And they saw something in the sky, but what really stopped them and riveted them was a beam came down out of this glowing object, and it was over a pasture. And Judy pulled over the car. Her daughter was uh, there in a seat beside her. And the next thing she knew was that uh, she was inside of the craft, and she is seeing these gray beings with... Uh, strange instruments, and they were slicing the testicles of the calf. And all of that I have written about in my books and shown the illustrations that they, some of them have made. And the whole uh, issue, ask me the, the question again so I don't get too far off track. Okay, the the question, uh, where were we now? Just bear with me a moment. I'm just looking back, so I was queuing up the next question. Um, no, I can't find it, Linda, sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it had to do, well, all of it has to do with uh, that the, the ETs have technologies and beam technologies and frequencies that in which they are interacting with animals, with humans' life. And if you find that again, I'll repeat that. Oh, it, yeah, what it was basically, it was, it was using hypnosis to recover. Oh, yes, hypnosis to recover. We uh, yes, and everything that happened, not only to the mother, but then the daughter, they were completely separated. And uh, the, uh, it was like movies coming out of both of them. And it has always, I, I have deep respect for hypnosis when it comes to human abductees, Barbara Lamb, I've been with her. She does excellent work. There have been so many, Dr. Sprinkle, he did so much work uh, with so many people. 
and it's hard for people for the general audience to understand that in the 19 early 1970s when there really started to be hundreds then thousands of bloodless trackless animal mutilations not only in North America but in other parts of the world and that I um, was shown myself a big cardboard box filled with file folders of mutilated animals, photographs, uh, veterinarian reports by the head of the uh, Colorado, it's like the CIA in Colorado. Um, and the number of cases that were occurring and no one had any context for understanding it, but it was Sheriff Tex Graves in uh, the Sheriff's Department up in Sterling, Colorado, who looked at me straight in our very first conversation and said, Linda, I'll save you some time. The perpetrators of these bloodless, trackless animal mutilations are creatures from outer space. And that was because there were people, there were cowboys, there were others who had seen these strange beings in the field, uh, had seen beams coming out of craft that scared them and they would go back to their ranch house and then in the morning they would come back to where they saw the beam in the field and there was a mutilated animal. But today, on November 22nd of 2023, even though there have been thousands and thousands of cases of bloodless, trackless animal mutilations ranging from kangaroos in Australia to marmots in Colorado, reindeer, this huge swath of animal life on earth. If you look at it through the way it's been described to me by some people who are inside of government operations, that the non-humans are using what they harvest for sustenance and for genetic manipulation. So the big word that everything is under is harvest. Earth is harvested. Well, how many animals do we kill every day on Earth to eat? So sustenance and genetic manipulation, that's the, these, the two sides of why the bloodless, trackless animal mutilations. And the bloodless part and the trackless part have to do with their advanced technologies. The beams can raise up apparently any weight, put it down, so they're neutralizing gravity. And when it comes to all those excisions that Dr. John Altshuler, uh, the pathologist and hematologist in Denver that I worked with uh, for quite a some time and was the I'm the one who went out with the formalin solution and the scalpels to get the excisions for him to analyze and over and over and over again on these bloodless trackless animal mutilations the hemoglobin and the collagen were cooked it's high heat no carbon residue so some kind of frequency applied and that would explain also as Dr. Altshuler said why the edges of the excisions were hard like plastic, whereas if you cut into the hide just with a scalpel, it would be soft and pliable. And, and we had the uh, various microscope photos 
that showed the difference from a normal cut to the mutilator's cut, high heat in all of those cases. So advanced technologies have been being applied to Earth, as I understand it, for 278 million years, and we are just now the most recent, uh, what would you call it, we're most human, a humanoid of the humanoid experiments that extraterrestrials have been working with. Um, when you talk with abductees, they've been introduced to the same idea that we, as the sentences were in the document that I was shown here at Kirtland Air Force Base uh, in April of 1983, they said, these extraterrestrial biological entities manipulated DNA in already evolving primates to create Homo sapien. That's sentence number one. Sentence number two, two different pages in the report. All questions and mysteries about the evolution of Homo sapien on this planet have been answered and this project is closed. And in that paper, it was called Project Garnet, because I remember saying to myself, remember, you were birthstone. I was born in January, and it was Garnet, Project Garnet. So the government has been studying these evolutionary, uh, what would we call it, the intricate, extraterrestrial influences of genetic manipulation on the earth. They've known about it for a very long time. Adolf Hitler talked about the Aldebarans in World War II. And here we are today, still being told by a variety of sources, it's, it's not gonna happen now, it's gonna happen later. Well, why can't it happen now? the truth, the headline. And if it's going to happen later, when and why the specific later? Um, if there's anybody tonight listening who has some really hard data about what's on the planning board for trying to start actually opening up the truth instead of this go forward uh, two steps and back six, like the House uh, subcommittee hearing that I thought we were going to have more and more and Congress would be told more and more truth. And uh, Representative Burchett said, no, uh, no more uh, putting this off, no more denials. Well, what happened? And it's frustrating because the truth is so much more incredible than the classified reality that we are living. So on that note, Ian, um, I'm going to thank you. I hope we can keep improving our system. When it works, it really is working well. And for all of you, the happiest Thanksgiving uh, possible in a time when the earth seems to be so precarious and that maybe if all of these jagged edges of truth could be filed off, melted off, 
into one huge beginning, true description of humanity on earth in relationship to other intelligences of which I think the tall whites are genuinely trying to help us. And if that's true, why can't they be introduced to us as helpers? Not taking over, not living our lives for us, but helpers. It might make an entire difference on the whole next evolutionary chapter of humans that are having such a hard time getting along with each other. If we knew that there were many others so much further advanced than we are, maybe it would make us more humble and love each other in an agape fashion more deeply, which I think was always the goal of the avatars. I thank you for being here and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com 
to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. Thank <laughs> you.